0: Well, again, welcome and good morning. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and it is delightful to have each of you here. Uh, This is, we thought it was new when we did it the other way, and that was cool, and now we changed it again, and we've got some other different things going on. So um, if there's a sense that you have about feeling a little disoriented or something like that, just know that everyone is right there with you right we 're all feeling a little like this is turned this way, and what 's this and this is here, and the band is the, right so it 's just we 're trying some new things, hopefully it 's going to uh, stir us in some good ways and so uh, please, if you have an opportunity um, to respond on those connection cards about how it feels and all that kind of stuff, we would love to to hear your feedback on that. Um, but I do again want to say welcome if you 're here in person uh, via live stream or if you 're going to connect with us sometime later with the podcast, we are uh, delighted that you 're choosing to take the time to be with us as we engage with God. Um, Having said that, will you please join me as I pray? Dear God, we give you great thanks, uh, Lord, that even though things may feel different, things may look different, we are confident that you are the same. God, and, and, and sometimes we are learning and growing, so, so we're learning who you are and, and, and what you do and all the ways you move, and so it might seem like, oh, I didn't know that about you before, but we can be confident that your love is true, your presence is true, um, and that you are here with us, and so I pray that in a world where it seems like things are changing and all that, we can, we can lean into you. Um, and we can find rest and stability and and life in you. And so I pray that we would know that today as we begin this new series uh, and as you stir in us some new things. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, you've heard a couple of times, we're starting a new sermon series today called One Brick at a Time, and it's a, it's a walk through uh, the book of Nehemiah. I do want to say, because uh, it's, it's been brought up a couple of times and even in our own study, um, and this will be a little bit funny to say, and, uh, but I also realize the seriousness of it. Uh, I just want everyone to be aware that the, the book of Nehemiah, in large part, is about building a wall. We are in no way saying that we are for or against any other walls that may be talked about being built in our world and in our culture. So any ties that you make from this to that, I just want you to untie those and, and let them go. Because we're not saying anything about that. It's a story in the Bible that we're going to learn some things from. It happens to be... Uh, partially dealing with a wall and so I just want to get that out of the way right from the get-go and again I know there's a there's a funny part to it but I know for a lot of us that's actually brings up a lot of anxiety too and so I don't want it to be something where uh, I want us to be sensitive about it and not be teasing or anything like that but but have it be out there in an honest way uh, where we can say like this is reality this is the world we live in so um, but it is called one brick at a time and it is going to be an exploration of looking at God initiating some movement uh, in his people and how the people respond to that. And so we are looking forward to, it's going to talk about a lot of things, courage, leadership, direction, uh, observation, how do we see these things, how do we move with God, how do we hear God, uh, and so it's going to be really, really cool and exciting, especially building off the the previous series that we've gone through, the, the Change series, the Simplify series, going through Advent faith practices, and then uh, moving through uh, All Things New and Epiphany, uh, it's all, you're going to see how it all really fits together really, really well, and hopefully we'll, we'll do a nice job building uh, on the past series couple things about Nehemiah, the book, before we get going. Uh, the, it used to be that Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra is the book uh, right before Nehemiah, they used to be one, uh, and then uh, they got split for some reason. Uh, I'm not really sure about that. But there's several things happening, uh, and it, it, you can actually kind of include Esther in there too. Uh, but there's a bunch of things happening that include those books that are all about sort of this movement uh, that, that Israel's going through. Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Nehemiah specifically, uh, it takes place about fifty years after the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon. So Babylon came in, destroyed Jerusalem, took a bunch of the people back to Babylon, and they're existing in exile and captivity there. And Nehemiah is the story of them being able to rebuild their city and rebuild their lives. There are three key leaders during this time. Um, one of them is this guy. And this is an awesome name, Zerubbabel. Um, uh, any of you who are going to have kids soon, that should be on top of your list. Uh, Zerubbabel was responsible for bringing a large group of people back and rebuilding the temple, right? So that was kind of his his sense of how God was moving. Uh, so, so he led that. Ezra uh, came back and sort of, Retaught the Torah, got the Torah back into the system, and worked on rebuilding the community. And Nehemiah is going to specifically be working on building the walls and the city gates. Um, all of this rebuilding, all of this movement, happens sort of with the energy and kind of the movement of of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah in Jeremiah twenty nine sends this. He, there's this transcript of a letter he wrote to the exiles uh, that says you got to settle and prosper where you're at and that's what God told them to do is while you're there in Babylon you got to make that the best place you can not just as a like well we're going to be here for a few so let's tidy it up but like no you have to work to make it flourish that is your role while you're there Um, and it's going to be a way for you to bless the people who have taken you captive it's going to be a way for you to show them a different kind of life but I'm setting you up to return also. And it says 70 years uh, there's going to be a return. So that, and that gives this whole movement a different kind of feel. If it was just someone's good idea, well, that's fine, it might work. But now they've got this prophetic voice, this prophetic imagination behind it that is fueling this, and that's really key to making this all happen. So I want to talk about Nehemiah for a moment. Who is Nehemiah? Nehemiah is a cupbearer for the king. Now When we think of a cupbearer, we might think of something like a butler or a servant, something along uh, those kinds of uh, lines, and and that's partially it. But one of the key roles of a cupbearer, not just to, to bring the food and take the dishes out and all that kind of stuff, but is to test the food and make sure it's not poisoned. Okay, because one of the key ways to get Uh, a political leader um, removed at that time was to poison them. Uh, It was one of the main ways that that people did that and overthrew governments and all those kinds of things. Uh, And so you would have a cupbearer who would bring your food in but would also taste it uh, and test it, and then you would kind of watch. Okay, they seem to be okay, so now we can eat. Um, Now, the the challenge with this is the cupbearer has to be someone who's... um, Expendable, right? That if 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 they go, it's gonna be you're gonna be able to recover uh, if if they don't pass the test. Um, But it also has to be someone who's trustworthy. Because you don't want the cupbearer to be someone who's going to go and form an allegiance with an enemy or someone who's going to try and overthrow you because they have a really easy in and a really easy way to make that happen. And so it's this this really interesting position. And it's fascinating that a king would pick someone from a neighboring nation that they conquered. Right? That's not normal. That's not the practice to do that. You're going to pick someone who's close to you, someone, but again, someone who's expendable. So... It's an interesting position. And King Xerxes, who was the king at the time, we're going to learn more about this king as we uh, go on, chooses Nehemiah. And I think largely because Nehemiah had shown himself to be a person who wanted Babylon to flourish. That showed himself to be a person who was there to be a blessing and to make all this work. And so Xerxes chooses uh, Nehemiah as a cupbearer. Uh, and we find that out at the end of chapter 1, that he is the cupbearer in a really interesting way, I think. So, uh, we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn right there, or the verses will be up on the screen uh, as I read. And i got to remember to do that, because that's what we do. Okay, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanini, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, a prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, had committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave to your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer of the king, cupbearer to the king. So it's right at the very end of this we learn that he says, give me a favor in the presence of this man, which is the king. And then he adds on, last sentence, I was the cupbearer to the king. Now, I have a confession to make. Some of you know this about me, uh, but I am what you call a crier, right? I cry when I'm listening to sermons. Sometimes I cry when I'm giving sermons. I cry when I'm reading books, watching TV, listening to music, watching movies, driving in my car, walking down the street. I cry when I'm hiking. There are lots of times when I cry, I just cry. That's, that's just part of who I am. Um, this, this was m- most notable, uh, and, and I was labeled this when I was a kid, And uh, we were watching a Garfield cartoon, and it was the very first Garfield cartoon. And in this cartoon, if you're familiar with the whole uh, sort of Garfield narrative, um, Garfield is the cat of this guy, John. John also has a dog named Odie. Uh, Garfield and Odie don't always get along. Um, Garfield thinks that Odie is not uh, particularly intelligent or well-adapted to surviving. Uh, So... They get captured and taken to the pound, and at this time, it was very common that if you were at the pound for seven days, you were then euthanized uh, and put to sleep. Now, they were talking about this in this cartoon, which now thinking back on it, that's a pretty harsh thing for a kid to have to try to navigate. But, so I sat about that, uh, and it was the night before. This is their last night in the pound, and, uh, and usually when Garfield is so ridiculously mean to Odie, he was being particularly caring and saying things like, it's going to be all right. We're here together, right? And I was in tears, and uh, my family mocked me incessantly because I cried during a Garfield cartoon, but it was sad, so deal with it. Uh, but it, as I was thinking about this, and you have this whole section where Nehemiah talks about, I, I, I've been weeping. Uh, and we do some more study, and, and he doesn't really specify in the text right there the amount of time, but it turns out he wept and prayed for about 16 weeks. Uh, which is a long time, but it made me ask, when was the last time I wept? And so I want to ask you, when was the last time you wept? Or if you're not particularly a crier or or sort of demonstrative like that with your emotions, when was the last time you felt internally heartbroken? When was the last time that something facilitated your crying out to God and, and mourning and sadness and weeping that way? Because Nehemiah, when he hears about the situation in Jerusalem, His heart is broken, and he weeps. When you look out into the world, the world that you live in, whether globally, or your city, or your neighborhood, your church, your school, office, work crew, job site, warehouse, bank, grocery store, wherever. When you look out and see what is broken and what's burned down, In the lives of people and in the spaces and places you find yourself in. What is it that when you get news of it makes your knees buckle and breaks your heart? What is it that something stirs inside you that says, I just can't let that go, right? I just, I can't, I can't be calm about that. I can't be just still about that. I have to, at the very least, I'm going to go and find a place and I got to let some stuff out. Now, when I was a kid, uh, there was another cartoon that I didn't like uh, because it was old. And, uh, and you find this out as you watch cartoons that were from previous generations. Brian and I were just talking about this with Muppet Babies. Uh, he grew up on Muppet Babies, and I thought Muppet Babies was ridiculous. Uh, but, so, but that's because I, I, w- I was too old to enjoy Muppet Babies at that point. But this cartoon character, some of you may recognize, uh, his name is Popeye. And Popeye has this saying. He says, that's all I can stand, and I can't stands no more. Okay? Popeye could stand some grammar help, for sure. But, um, but the thing about Popeye is he would. He would get to a moment where something would happen, and he would be like, that's it. Now i got to do something. That's kind of what's happening with Nehemiah. Nehemiah becomes aware of this brokenness and this suffering that's taking place and not just that the walls are torn down and the gate is torn down, but that's representative of how the city is doing and how the people are doing. That the people there are suffering and Nehemiah in this moment of, I can't, I can't let that be, I can't stand that, says, that's, that's all I can stand. This thing that I'm seeing leads me to not just a feeling, but now I'm going to have to try to do something about it. And so he does what a lot of us do. Typically, when we see something that's disturbing, whether we see it on Facebook or Twitter or some other form of social media or in the news, uh, we try to blame somebody. We try, when we see all the negative stuff, our natural response when we see a problem is to know who to blame. And Nehemiah actually discovers that in his engagement with God. And he says, oh, wait, that was me. Right, That's my people, and I identify with my people, even though I may not have been the direct source of it. I'm a member of this group of people who was part of the direct source, and I'm going to own that. But I have a, a, a key life lesson that I think is in here, too, because there's a lot of things when we look at them. We don't go out about it like Nehemiah did and try to own it. We try to pin it on somebody else, and what I want us to hear today is that it may not be our fault or our problem, but it is our time. Right. It may not be that you were the source of that problem, but it may be that you are the answer to that problem. And this is the time when we need to respond. There may be systems in our culture that we didn't start, we may be perpetuating, we might not be, we may not even know, and that might not be our responsibility, but our responsibility is to deal with those systems in ways that eradicate the ones that aren't helping and put into place new ones that do help. It could be in your family. There could be generations of abuse in your family. And you didn't start that, but you're the one who can end it. It is your time, whether or not the problem was yours to begin with or not. And so Nehemiah right here is saying, you know what? I I may not have been the very person who started the problem and started all the sin and everything and the moving away from you, God, but I'm willing to identify with my people and stand in solidarity with my people knowing that I'm capable of that and we're going to move. I'm going to own that and we're going to move to something different because whether or not it was my problem, this is my time. Now, I also want you to hear that I'm not saying that taking responsibility for our actions, owning our stuff and holding people accountable is not important because I think it is. I think Nehemiah does that. But I think what we do sometimes is we put placing blame as a high, of higher importance than moving in ways that are going to help change the problem. And so I think when we do that, we move away from what God is inviting us into, which is changing the situation, instead of just being able to say, well, I'm not responsible for it, but I know who is. I can just put the blame on them, and then it's up to them to deal with it, when we may be the very ones God is calling to change something. So, Nehemiah recognizes there's an opportunity to do something, and so he does. He prays and he cries. Okay, He goes in, he discovers in this moment with God and engaging with the weeping over this, you know what? I remember what you told Moses. If you stray away from me, I'm going to scatter you. Okay, I remember that. Okay, And I'm going to own that the, 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 the people of God, Israel, myself, my family, we've participated in that. But now, he's going to ask God to remember something. Because he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't stop and just say, okay, now we've got the blame figured out, even if it's me. That's where we need to stop. But he goes on and he says this uh, in Nehemiah 1, 8 and 9. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Got that. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So step one, get on the same page with God. Will my actions and my response to this be in line with who God is, or will I somehow further perpetuate sin and evil in the way I respond to whatever I'm responding to? Okay, so so what do I mean by that? Sometimes I see interactions on social media where um, it feels like no, nothing's ever being moved towards. There's just constant bickering. And I feel like there's a, there's a way that that's done that can be helpful. And I'm very thankful that, and, I, and I'll say this very proudly, most of what I see from people that I know here are all working towards being better at that. And so I'm really excited about that um, because I'm so bad at it that I really don't even try. So I'm looking to all of you for help. But what I observe sometimes is people saying things that they wouldn't say if they were face-to-face. Uh, and I've told you this before, um, uh, a news uh, radio station that I was listening to brought two people in who had been arguing over Facebook, handed them the scripts of the conversation and said, now read that to each other. And they couldn't. They said, I would never say that to a person. And they said, well, why did you write it? And they were like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't want to really talk about that, right? Because they didn't. It was, they, they realized if there's someone here now, there's something about that medium that we may have to recognize, but... How many times have you said to yourself, I could have handled that differently? Right? Oh, the heart of what I was saying was good, but boy, if I would have said that differently or if I could have acted differently, I've said it a lot, like, especially as a parent. Right? There are times where my kids do something, and it's got an ability because I allow it to kind of light me up from one end of the emotional spectrum to the other, where I can think, you're the most wonderful, amazing person ever, To I have to get so far away from you right now as quickly as I can because I'm going to lose my mind. Um, and there's lots of times when I'm on that end of the spectrum that I say things, and I say something like, you know what, if we can't get this going, you're not going to be able to do X for a year, And then I say that and I go, there's no way I'm going (laughs) to, why did I say that? And now I have to, either that or I have to immediately say, look, you know what, I lost my cool there, I want to take that back, Uh, I've tried that sometimes and that kind of does some stuff in the moment, the best thing is to not say it in the first place, but, so, lots of times where I've said, I wish I could have changed the way I said that, God, Is inviting Nehemiah into a place to be able to act in a way that not only is going to be able to combat the things that he is dealing with and and, and rebuild and restore, but is going to allow him to do it in a way that is honoring to God. Because if we can learn in the process of this, this thing where God talks about that there's no horizon that's far enough. Right? There's no horizon that's so far away that I can't overcome that. If we can go into every situation believing that, then it changes it from a situation where I have to conquer or I have to win or I have to defeat this other person to a situation where I just have to say, in this situation, God is here to rebuild and I just have to come in and help. It changes it a lot. Last week, we talked about the epiphany, which is the recognition of Jesus being revealed as the Son of God to the Gentile world, to everyone outside of Judaism, and that's uh, shown in the, in the three wise men, or the magi, that come and visit, uh, that this is Jesus being revealed to the outside world. And we talked about being dislocated, and what it means to be dislocated, that for these magi, in order to accept that that Invitation to that revelation of who Jesus was—they had to be dislocated from their old beliefs to be relocated in some new ones. And we talked about that process, and that's exactly what's happening with Nehemiah. That Nehemiah has been told, "You got to go here and make this place flourish and all this stuff." And now he hears this story about what's happening back at home, and his heart is breaking. And he's like, "I got to go. I'm being dislocated again." This series, we're going to find that one of the things that happens is. Oftentimes our dislocation and relocation, they're not permanent. We get dislocated from one thing, relocated to something, and then it changes. Whether it's a new job, you move to a new city, you graduate, you have new professors, you have new teachers, you make new friends, you get married, you get divorced. All kinds of things play into how we're feeling about dislocating and relocating. And this series is going to help us navigate some of those steps. Because Nehemiah is dislocated by the news of this remnant of people in Jerusalem. And in his dislocation, he goes to God and he weeps for 16 weeks, weeps and prays and gets himself ready to act. And in that process, he owns his part in it. And then he remembers God's promise to Moses that no horizon is too far, that even if you've strayed what you think is too far, I will still pursue you and I can bring you back from that point. And the thing that we have to remember Again, if this is just a good idea, if this just is on paper, then it's one thing. But you know how when you see somebody and they're talking to you about doing something and and you've never seen them do it before, it kind of loses some of its credibility, right? If I was going to talk to Anthony about hip-hop like I knew what I was doing, I would not have a lot of credibility with him because he's a legitimate hip-hop artist, right? And the same thing for lots of you with stuff like that that we could talk about. And so if this is just, you know, Nehemiah and, and these prophets and they're just talking about this, but they never had to do any of it to this scale, then it doesn't mean as much. And if it's coming from God and we don't know that God knows how to do this, then it doesn't mean as much. But thankfully, this is exactly what God does. We read in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And in Philippians 2, 6, 8, it's talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. God, aware of the situation for all people, says, that's all I can stand. Sends Jesus to become one of us, be born one of us, live our life, die our death, and then rise again on our behalf so that we in Jesus could experience new life. So we see in God, we see in Jesus, this same attitude of being moved to act. Him doing so on our behalf. To give all of us the opportunity to flourish and have a full life. God's saying, I delight in you. Come and live in that. Come and experience that in person. Some of you may have seen uh, the movie Moana. We're getting a lot of cartoons this morning. Uh, But Moana is one of my favorite all-time movies. I absolutely love it. I cried a lot during it. and, and I, I wanted to show a clip, but some of you may not have seen it, so I didn't want to, because it's a pretty important clip. But I'm going to give a quote from the movie that I think is really uh, important. And it's, it won't be a spoiler uh, too much, so, but if you feel like it, it will be cover your ears or something. But at one point, one of the characters says this, I have crossed the horizon to find you. I know your name. They have stolen the heart from inside you, but this does not define you. This is not who you are. You know who you are. And I feel like this idea that even comes up here that God's talking about, I will go to the farthest horizon. I want you to hear that this morning. One, so if you are feeling distant from God to know that no matter how far you've gone, there's no horizon that is far enough away that God's love cannot reach you there. But also so that we know as followers of Jesus the invitation for us may be to go to a far horizon in what we're being asked to do the invitation may be to try something new the invitation may be to speak to someone who we've absolutely given up hope on Uh, it may be to enter into a relationship that's going to be really difficult and it may be to stay in that relationship to some level but it may be to go to a horizon that you thought was too far we see Nehemiah giving up the good life he has. Maybe the cupbearer is not the best life, but it's a stable job for a while, I guess. Um, but but we see him, he's trusted by the king uh, and all this stuff, and he's been elevated to a high position, so he does have a good life. And he leaves that just on hearing a story, just on hearing how the people back home are doing. He gives all of that up. Before I ask some closing questions, I want to invite the worship team to come on up. And the prayer team will be up here also. If there's anything this morning that stirred something in you that you want prayer for, whether it be during our sermon, during worship, if you didn't get up and get to be prayed for, prayed for, prayed for? Prayed for earlier, uh, come and get it now. Uh, it's, it's there for you. Um, In a second, the worship team is going to pray, and on your connection card, there's some space on the back. I have some questions I want you to answer. Uh, They're going to play in just a second instrumentally, and you'll have an opportunity to write down answers to these questions. Um, I just have three this morning. Uh, The first one is, when you look at the world today, what brokenness do you see that has caused you to weep? Could be in anything. Could be in your home. Could be in your own life. Could be from the past. Could be today. Could be something you're anticipating is going to happen. Right, could be on a global level, could anything. When you look at the world today, wherever you find yourself at in the space of the world, what brokenness do you see that has caused you or is causing you to weep? Second, have you wept slash been moved about this intentionally with God? And what I mean with that is have you taken that to God? It's one thing to go off and be by yourself and even to say, and, and God's there, and I know God's everywhere, so God's there. But have you actually taken some space and said, you know what? I'm going to take some space. I'm going to make some space in my schedule, and I'm going to sit with this with God, and I'm going to take the things that I'm weeping about, and I'm going to bring them before the Lord and see how is God going to respond in the midst of this? And then thirdly, have you taken actions that are also in step with God to rebuild or restore in this area? And if so, what have you done? If not, what could you do? And so this is just asking, and this is going to build into the next couple weeks of this series. As we look at this, we're going to see the actions that Nehemiah takes, how he does those, how the people get involved, and it's really a fantastic uh, story. But I wanted to start with this today to discover, are we engaged with our world in ways that we can experience a broken heart over the brokenness we see? And if so, how have we responded to that? So, take a moment to answer those questions. Uh, I'm going to pray and then the worship team will play uh, and then they'll invite us into a closing song. God, I, uh, I ask that you would stir our hearts. God, there are so many things that we hear about so many things that, 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 that we learn about and we often want to just uh, sort of ascribe blame to something and then be able to move along. Um, and it's, it's just a way for us to categorize and organize and make ourselves feel better. Um, God, I pray that, that we would find the things that, that have moved us uh, to a point where we say like, you know what, I can't allow that to go on like that anymore. God, I pray you would stir up in us as individuals and as a church. What are the things that you're inviting us to participate in as part of your plan to bring reconciliation to all things? So God, I pray during these few moments, and during these weeks in this series, you would be stirring and moving us. And I pray, God, if we have to weep, that we would weep. And if we have to, you know, however we need to find those things, I pray, God, that we would find the things that you're calling us to. Yeah. Yeah. God, and, and, I, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.